From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to this Wednesday edition of Washington Watch. Thanks so much for tuning in. Well, it's been a busy day on Capitol. FBI Director Christopher Wray appeared before the House Judiciary Committee where he faced a barrage of questions regarding the FBI's increasingly questionable practices. We do not recruit, open, or operate confidential human sources to infiltrate, target, report. But that's not, uh, what, this, that's not what this said. It sounds like you were trying to do it in no, Richmond, Virginia. No, sir. No, sir. No, you sir. weren't? This, this didn't happen? You can assure us that this that, didn't happen? That product did not, to as best as we can tell, result in any investigative action as a result of it. None. That was uh, Chairman of the Judiciary Committee, Jim Jordan, asking Director Ray about an FBI internal memo that was leaked by a whistleblower that revealed the FBI used information from the discredited Southern Poverty Law Center to target those who held traditionalist Catholic theological beliefs. We're going to get more on today's hearing from Texas Congressman Nathaniel Moran, a member of the committee, in just a little bit. I was also on the Hill earlier today speaking before the House Select Committee on the Chinese Communist Party regarding their repressive actions against Christians and others. The PRC Constitution states that citizens enjoy freedom of religious belief, but of course, the CCP's definition of freedom bears a much closer resemblance to what we would call oppression. That was a clip of the chairman of the Select Committee, Congressman Mike Gallagher, earlier today. We're going to talk about it in just a moment when I'm joined by FRC's Vice President of Policy and Government Affairs, Travis Weber. Can you say double standard? With respect to the DOJ, I find it odd that uh, they were very quick to move on uh, making their uh, 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 indictment unsealed. The fact that the Department of Justice has moved so quickly on Gala, but they haven't done anything other than turn a blind eye to to Hunter Biden is is very concerning. That was chairman of the House Oversight and Accountability Committee, James Comer, contrasting the recent indictment of Gal Luft, who uh, actually provided information to the FBI on the Biden family's dealing with China, and the non-indictment of Hunter Biden, who had engaged in the same, same activity as Luft. We're going to talk with Texas Senator Ted Cruz, a member of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Also, I'm going to get a second opinion on the Center for Disease Control's new guidance for chest feeding. Chest feeding is a more inclusive term that includes men who masquerade as women and want to breastfeed children. We're going to talk to Dr. Roger Marshall, senator from Kansas, who, who, by the way, has delivered more than 5,000 babies. He might have an opinion on this topic. And while this nonsense makes you just shake your head, frankly, there are real-life consequences from this demonically driven agenda of President Biden and his administration. All right, I want you to let that sink in. There are consequences from this. This LGBTQ ideology is not limited to this make-believe stuff that they're doing here at home. It has literally permeated every aspect of our foreign policy, and it is putting our nation in grave danger. We're going to talk more about that today with Dr. Eric Bordenkircher. He is a research fellow at the UCLA Center for Middle East Development. Our word for today comes from Luke chapter 5. When he, Jesus, had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out in the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. 
Nevertheless, at your word, I'll let down the net. You know, they had fished all night, caught nothing. They had cleaned and put up their equipment. No doubt they were tired. Peter didn't want to do it, but he says, I'll do it. What happens? A supersized catch. Peter and the others had actually returned to fishing after responding to Jesus' initial call to follow him. Now Peter hears and sees the Lord loud and clear. You can do your thing and go nowhere, or you can follow me and I will bring supernatural increase to your work. I personally have no interest in laboring and coming up empty-handed. I want to be in the boat with Jesus. To find out more about our Bible reading plan, go to frc.org slash Bible. Well, as I mentioned earlier today, Congressman Mike Gallagher, chairman of the House Select Committee on the Chinese Communist Party, hosted a roundtable discussion on Capitol Hill regarding the Chinese Communist Party's threat to religious freedom. I spoke at the roundtable along with FRC Senior Fellow for International Religious Freedom, Bob Fu, and also the uh, current chair and co-chair of the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, along with others, were a part of the roundtable. Now, while the details of the Chinese Communist Party's religious persecution remain shocking every time I hear them, there is no denying that American companies and American consumers are facilitating the communist regime in these efforts by buying their cheap products. Joining me now to discuss this is Travis Weber, Vice President of Policy and Government Affairs here at the Family Research Council. Travis, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you, Tony. All right, let me just jump into this real quick. Uh, What stood out to you uh, from today's roundtable discussion at the Select Committee on the Chinese Communist Party? Yeah, I think it was very clear there was a a unified uh, effort uh, to deal with religious, the clear religious freedom violations in China. You had representatives of different faiths there, clear representation from the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, leaders like yourself, and uh, the chair, uh, Mike Gallagher, of this new uh, select committee on the Chinese Communist Party that that was uh, that was started, you know, earlier this year. So, Tony, it clearly sent a signal that uh, we recognize the threat posed by China. We recognize the threat posed by reli- religious freedom violations in China. Moreover, it was significant that at the close, uh, Congressman Gallagher prayed for the Lord's guidance. As we note in our the word for today in Luke 5, we need the Lord's leadership to help liberate the captives. That uh, You know, here there's the gospel presentation in Luke 5. But in this case, we're talking about liberation of people who were pressed in China. Uyghur, the Uyghurs suffering a genocide, house church Christians. We in America need to do it. And uh, it was significant that Congressman was seeking the Lord's guidance in that. So I think that's something we can all press into and, and be seeking the Lord ourselves and how we can play a part. And of course, Congress looking for um, a possible policy uh, solutions here. And, and, and one of the things that came out of the roundtable discussion is that this is not something that's going to be solved overnight. It was not it didn't happen overnight. This has been decades in the making. Yep. Uh, and in part, I pointed out to the fact that uh, back in 2000, when the Chinese government was given permanent most favored nation status, which is a trade status that allowed them to get into the World Trade yep. Organization, that normalized trade, that has created a, a greater trade imbalance. Not only have we lost jobs, manufacturing jobs here in the United States, but it's enriched them yep. and it's corrupted the moral climate of American corporations that are utilizing, in many cases, forced labor in China to make cheap products 
to bring back here to sell to American consumers. It's corrupted us. We've almost driven it. We've driven down this road towards corruption, and we've fueled their ability and really supercharged their ability to violate the rights of their people. Because you need resources, you need money to engage in the massive technologically driven control they're exercising over their citizens. It's a topic that was discussed as well today, the ability to monitor and implement social credit regimes. Right. With religious freedom in the mix on this, they're, they're controlling anything a threat to the state's power. And now because of the road the United States has been on, as you pointed out, we've enabled them to be in a stronger position to do that. This is unfortunate, and we have to use the position we have left at this point, Tony, in this country to exert moral clarity, yeah. to proclaim moral clarity around the world. And that's something that's increasingly under threat. We're not doing that in every area, and we right. need to do it here. We've got to prioritize it. Uh, Travis Weber, thanks so much for, uh, for joining Thank us. Thank you. And now we're going to have more on China and their surveillance actually here in the United States tomorrow when we're joined by uh, Tennessee Senator Marsha Blackburn. But I want to go now to uh, more activity that was on Capitol Hill today. House Republicans grilled FBI Director Christopher Wray in a Judiciary Committee hearing today, pressing the director on the Bureau's politically motivated investigations, as well as its surveillance of churches and parents. You know, with, with some in Congress now suggesting the possibility of withholding appropriations to the Bureau or even uh, withholding funds that they want to use to move their headquarters. Well, what might come of today's hearing? Joining me now to discuss this and more is Congressman Nathaniel Moran. He serves on the House Judiciary Committee, the House Foreign Affairs Committee, the House Education Committee. He represents the 1st Congressional District of Texas. Congressman Moran, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you, Tony. It's a pleasure to be here with you. So the FBI director, under oath, uh, as I understand, denied that the agency was protecting the Bidens, saying that they don't protect anyone politically. Your thoughts? Well, the American people know differently, and they know differently from seeing what's happened there over the past six years. It's clear that there is a two-tiered system of justice coming out of the FBI. The thing that I focused my questions on today with Director Ray went right to the heart of the matter, and that is trust. Because when we provide so much authority to the FBI to do ostensibly good work, we expect that we can trust that they are not going to abuse that trust and misuse the tools that we've given them to do that important work. And in the last six years, we've seen that that has not been the case. And it may go back further than that, but frankly, we've seen an increase of that, especially in the last couple of years under the Biden administration, where time and time again, the FBI is going after people for politically motivated reasons. And that's what the driving force is behind their decision-making. It's not enforcing the rule of law objectively, but it's their subjective desires to get to a political end. Well, the issue of trust was this, the, at the heart of several of uh, actually, I would say probably the majority of the questions asked by Republicans or the issues that were brought up. Uh, you, you had the issue of hundreds of thousands of improper foreign intelligence surveillance court or FISA warrants that the FBI uh, had. The FBI using information from the Southern Poverty Law Center that linked traditional Catholics to white supremacists. Um, should anyone be surprised that there's a lack of trust in the FBI? Well, I, I asked Director Ray that today, and he seemed to uh, not want to answer that question. But uh, nobody should really be surprised by that. I think I cited a poll today from Harvard that said 70-plus percent of Americans, and you know that's bipartisan, 
uh, don't trust the FBI when it comes to their involvement in elections. And when we were talking about this issue down uh, south about uh, the Catholic uh, individuals that were targeted by the FBI field agent, they called them radical traditional Catholics. And I was just shocked by that term and how it'd be used. And nothing's come of this. Nothing, no changes in the FBI have been made to ensure that this kind of thing does not continue. And I was very disappointed that Director Ray, t- Ray today would not admit that there's a problem so it can be fixed. You know, I I was kind of amazed. I saw him do this several times when uh, members would ask questions. His response was about the number of applicants from the state that the member represented who wanted to become FBI agents, saying, well, we've got all the, we've got 100% increase in the number of people from your state that want to become FBI agents. That does not tell me as to whether or not the FBI is operating according to the law and being transparent with what they're doing. Yeah, it doesn't give me great confidence. And back to this FISA issue, because he didn't want to address it. Those are one of those tools that we've given him to not misuse and abuse. And in fact, that's been the case. And so uh, I made clear in in my uh, testimony and Q&A time with him that uh, that's likely going to be something that they're going to see taken away, and it should be taken away. The FBI shouldn't have, one, misuse of the FISA um, FISA Act, and in fact, they've had hundreds of thousands to a, over a million illegal searches through right. FISA. We don't, I don't even know why they're involved in that anyway. They should be focused on our, our, our on our on our security that doesn't involve surveilling domestic Americans without a warrant. Yeah, that that is deeply troubling. I had no idea that there were that many. Congressman, always great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you, Tony. Keep up the great work. Thank you. All right, folks, stick with us. On the other side of the break, we're going to continue our conversation with Senator Ted Cruz. He joins us next. Don't go away. Today, more than ever, men need a reminder of what biblical manhood looks like and to understand God's good design for them, to serve as provider, instructor, battle buddy, defender, and chaplain. They need a battle plan to truly live out their role. Family Research Council's Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin and Dr. Keenan Kirtan's book, Strong and Courageous, a sequel to Man to Man, offers this battle plan so that men can pursue their God-given responsibility in a culture quickly turning away from God's design. The authors unpack the Old Testament book of Joshua as the focus of their study, asking readers to look to his leadership to help consider and apply the key principles of biblical manhood. It's time for men to accept their role in the family and community and truly embrace their God-given purpose. To order your copy of Strong and Courageous, A Call to Biblical Manhood, go to frc.org slash strongandcourageous. Again, that's frc.org slash strongandcourageous. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clausen, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific 
specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to have you with us. All right. Uh, you know, like I often say here, you, you never want to do live programming with uh, children, animals, or members of Congress. So just got news. Uh, Ted Cruz tied up in a meeting. So we're going to jump ahead to another topic uh, in today's program. You know, ever since President Biden took office in 2021, his administration's crusade has been to enforce and promote LGBT beliefs throughout not just the United States, but literally around the globe. The worst kind of American cultural imperialism. This mission and the woke Biden State Department does, they view this, uh, this as, as their mission, including pushing pride messages at every opportunity, as well as attempts to convert the entire world to transgender pronoun usage. Now this does more than embarrass United States on the global stage. This puts our nation at risk. This is a national security issue. Joining me now in studio to discuss this is Dr. Eric Bordenkircher, a research fellow at the UCLA's Center for Middle East Development. He publishes extensively on Middle East policy and U.S. foreign policy in the Middle East. Dr. Borden Kircher, thank you so much for joining us. Good to have you here on Washington Watch. My pleasure. Now, you recently published an article on the Biden administration's overseas LGBTQ crusade. How does someone who focuses on alliances and failed states in the Middle East decide to write an article on gender-neutral pronouns? How does this come into your issue set? Good question, Tony. So I'll give you the, the macro and the micro here. Macro is, is, as I've been transitioning out of academia and focusing more and more on, pol- on policy issues, I become increasingly intrigued by the progressive perspective on U.S. foreign policy, particularly from the Middle East, because there's a lot of uh, critique, a lot of focus on Israel, a lot of focus on Saudi Arabia and our relations there. So I'm in this kind of uh, 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 space in regards to progressive ideas. The LGBTQ stuff is 
a, a component of that. And the kind of micro story is that this idea came out of a discussion with a former student after class uh, in regards to my class on Middle East politics. And when I saw a video that was posted by the U.S. Embassy in Brazil in regards to a a pronoun pronouncement in in regards to gender neutral, the idea that I had in my head from last year triggered and I said, I got to write this article. And I think whether we look at just the progressive issue or this more specific issue in regards to the LGBT or even the gender pronoun stuff is the fact that a lot of this progressive policy is not very well thought out and thought out in the sense that there are repercussions here to our national interest, our national security. So this is kind of the broader point of of what I'm trying to do. And then a more specific point is that when you take these issues of like pronouns, you're dealing with, you know, some very basic elements of culture, very basic elements of identity. And when you apply it in the Arab Muslim context, where you have a language that is very complex, very structured, and then also has a religious element that, you know, uh, Arabic is seen as something special because the Quran was revealed in the Arabic language. So the idea that Tony Blinken, uh, U.S. Embassy here or there, is going to tell the Arab Muslim world, hey, you need to adapt, you need to assimilate, you need to assemble elements of your language is, you know, redi- you know laughable. Yeah, it, it, there's so much there. I, I mean, it, it, in, in a very simple, simplistic form, you know, when, when your kids and you're playing make-believe in the basement, that's fine. But when you go out, your parents say, hey, knock that stuff off. Yeah. This has real-life implications when you talk about doing this overseas. I, my concern, and I've done a lot internationally on religious freedom as a former chair of the USERF Commission, is that when you get into particularly the, the Muslim world, as you talk about language, some language, even the, even the, the Spanish language, doesn't accommodate this foolishness. Exactly. I mean, exactly. The, the language is specifically male, female. It doesn't have 85 different pronouns to define an individual. Yes. So how do you make that work? You don't. And this is why kind of this, you know, I saw this as kind of an issue on the horizon that's coming. And it's this idea that, you, you know, they're not thinking through these, these policies, thinking through these ideas and that they're going to encounter these walls. And I think the issue is... Uh, you know, that we should be really concerned about, not, you know, the linguistic, uh, the linguist who's, you know, studying this stuff is that you, you know, you irritate these countries, you irritate these civilizations, you irritate these leadership people. And, you know, a country like Saudi Arabia, for example, we rely on them for carrying out our policy in the region, whether it is preventing the non-proliferation of nuclear capabilities. Right. They're strategic allies. Yeah. We've got issues with them, but they're a strategic ally. And And we need their cooperation. So why are we going to, you know, start to push an agenda here that has no popularity in this part of the world? Now, we're also linking, and a lot of this in Central and South America, poorer countries that rely on our foreign aid, we're linking them changing their pronouns, their view of same-sex relations to our foreign aid. Could we not be driving them into the hands of our enemies as well, like China, who's offering money out there? Exactly. We are increasingly having to compete with China, compete with China in regards to access to minerals deposits, for, for example, like in Africa, 
or even in the Middle East, for example, where you know U.S. capability, U.S. Uh, in, uh, what was it, knowledge in regards to large infrastructure projects could end up being you know pushed or given to the Chinese because you have countries that are going to you know increasingly be irritated by uh, uh, by this agenda here. Well, Eric, we're we're up against a break, um, and and uh, and we, we may, we're going to have to move on. However, we may come back to this, so uh, don't, don't go too far because there's so much more to to talk about on this issue and its impact on our foreign policy. I mean, this is again, this is putting our nation at uh, at grave risk. All right, and, and I'm going to ask you uh, if, we, if we can come back to this. We're going to see. We're very fluid. This is live programming, so very fluid. But uh, we're going to see no recommendations. Problem. All no right, problem. Eric, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you, Tom. All right, folks, stick with us. If I can, I'm going to return to this topic because uh, we've tracked a lot of the LGBTQ agenda that is permeating our foreign policy. And this seems to be a top priority of this administration. And, again, this has real-life implications, and it could be putting our nation at risk. Well, speaking of the nonsense, we're going to go to uh, Senator Roger Marshall to talk about chest feeding. CDC telling Americans how to chest feed. That's next. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Have you seen the Now We Live series? It is a six-week worldview Bible study created in partnership with Family Research Council and Summit Ministries. This video series was put together to help Christians propel faith into action. It offers six free videos to prompt rich discussions about some of life's most foundational questions among churches, small groups, and families. Each video is led by well-known Christian voices and addresses questions regarding worldview, Jesus, truth, identity, and society. It's so important for Christians to both know the truth and to live in a way that is compatible with the truth. Being grounded in what is true and living out God's grace allows a believer's faith to truly transform one's own life and ultimately help transform a broken world. Equip yourself and other Christians to learn more about what it means to truly hold a biblical worldview. Access this important series by going to frc.org worldview. Again, go to frc.org worldview. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to have you with us on this uh, Wednesday. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Lots of resources there for you. Well, this week, Dr. Mandy Cohen took the helm as the new director of the Center for Disease Control. She takes over the embattled federal agency, still under fire for its handling, or mishandling, I should say, of the COVID pandemic. 
Uh, it politicized its response to masking, vaccines, and school closures, and we, we now know all the facts. It was a disaster. Well, the, bureau, the bureaucracy that Cohen inherits demonstrated just how far, just how far it's fallen last week when it published guidance for men. Now, stick with me. I know some of this can be difficult. For men who claim to be transgender to chest feed babies. Now, instead of focusing on a mother's nourishment for her baby, this chest feeding advice includes pointers for men who take drugs to produce hormones that mimic a pregnant woman's body, even while ignoring the potential harm such lab-produced hormones could have on a baby. Again, putting their proclivities above the care of children. Joining me now to discuss this some more is Kansas Senator Roger Marshall. He serves on four Senate committees, including the Committee on Health, Education, and Labor. Uh, he is uh, a doctor who practiced medicine for, for more than 25 years and delivered more than 5,000 babies. So he might have an opinion on this. Senator Marshall, welcome back to Washington Watch. Always great to see you. Yeah, Tony, isn't this amazing? Uh, you know, I spent a career delivering a baby every day and always encourage breastfeeding. It's so important to the nourishment of that baby. And certainly you and I knew that we would be up here fighting to protect the baby before it was born. But did you, did you ever think we'd have to protect the health of the baby after it's born? That this White House has put their woke agenda ahead of what's healthy for babies. In, in this case, I, I'm just beside myself. The CDC is in direct Contra uh, indication from what the FDA is said to do. The CDC is now recommending a drug that the FDA took off the market in 2004 because it wasn't safe. And it wasn't just kind of unsafe. It caused a heart arrhythmia. And this drug, if these, if these men take it and they chest feed their baby and they give this trans fluid to their babies, that drug's gonna go into that baby's system with the potential for causing arrhythmias as well. I, I'm just, I can't believe it. So we don't even really know the long-term consequences of these games that we're playing, but yet our federal government, I mean, this is from their platform, and the CDC's website section, Health Equity Considerations, Found under its infant and young child feeding toolkit, the center declares that transgender and non-binary gendered individuals may give birth and breastfeed or feed at the chest. I mean, and th this denies reality, but in doing so, as you've pointed out, this puts children at risk. And we don't know the long-term consequences here. Yeah, Tony, when, when will the, the uh, woke left uh, put, stop putting their woke agenda ahead of what's best for these babies? I think that's the bottom line here. Again, uh, they are using a medicine that the FDA has taken off the market. They're combining it with hormones, estrogen and progesterone, as well as a diuretic, giving it to these men um, who are then chest feeding the baby with this fluid that's coming uh, fr from, from their chest. We'll just leave it at that. Uh, we know it's not, there's no way it's got the same nourishment. It doesn't have colostrum in it. Colostrum is, is what God gives women uh, in the first couple of days of breastfeeding. It's full of antibodies and antioxidants to protect the health of the baby. I think there's no way that there's enough caloric uh, value in, in this uh, trans fluid either to nourish the baby. Again, they are in direct contraindication with the FDA. 
the CDC's way outside of their lane. They put their woke agenda ahead of the health of newborn babies. So just to be clear, Dr. Marshall, are these drugs being used as they were intended to use? Is this the proper use of all of these drugs, these hormones and such? Yeah, well, 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 of course not. Uh, you know, first of all, the dromepiridone is a drug that was intended for anti-nausea, but it was taken off the market in 2004. So they're really practicing medicine with a, a drug. I really think this is illegal what the CDC is doing by recommending and marketing this drug. The other drugs that they're giving are birth control pills or estrogen and progesterone, which are used in menopausal management typically. And the problem is, if you could imagine giving uh, top, you know, large, large doses of estrogen or progesterone to uh, whether it's a boy baby or a girl baby, to your point earlier, we don't know what it's going to do. Is it going to help? Is it going to make the skull close more more quickly? Is it going to basically uh, induce some type of a puberty? Are we going to see gynecomastia? And there's other things I, I feel like are PG-13 I shouldn't talk about. So they're being used way outside of their lanes. I guarantee you, Tony, if a woman came to me and said she's breastfeeding and she could she take any one of these drugs, I would tell her you have a choice, ma'am. You can either take the drug or you can do breastfeed, but you cannot do both. I don't think it's safe for your baby. And we're always really concerned is when you have this uh, menagerie of drugs, a concoction mixing together. We have no idea the impact on that baby. But we do know it's passing through the breast milk. We do know there's lots of side effects. This is horrible medicine. I, I just don't know how they won't get sued. Um, I, I've just never seen the CDC stoop so low. Can this agency be saved? Boy, you know, I, th I think it's like many agencies here uh, at the White House. Uh, the, the top levels, I think, need to, we need to clean house and start over in so many of them. I think there's always lots of good people, yeah. good, meaningful people. Uh, but the political appointees are the ones that got to go. And that starts with the change at the top of You're the right. White House. Elections. And that's what elections are for. Elections have consequences. Dr. Roger Marshall, always great to have you on the program. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Tony. Thanks for your fight as well. We appreciate you having our back. All right. Senator Roger Marshall of Kansas. This, you wouldn't believe it if you didn't see it. This is what this administration is doing. All right, don't go away. More Washington Watch straight ahead. Are you prepared to pray, vote, and stand for biblical truth? It is imperative that Christians pray for their community and culture to steward their role as a citizen by voting and to stand for biblical truth. This means that Christians must be intentional about seeking after the Lord in all things. You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to inspire brothers and sisters in Christ to turn their attention to the Lord first and in every compartment of their lives. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders for this weekly half-hour program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. Watch the Pray, Vote, Stand weekly broadcasts and commit to pray for our nation, to stand for truth, and to seek the Lord first. Just go to PrayVoteStand.org. Again, that's PrayVoteStand.org.
Tech censorship is on the rise. Big tech companies are attempting to cancel conservatives and Christians, which is why here at Family Research Council, we've decided to be proactive so that big tech cannot silence us completely. FRC has a text subscription platform to be sure we can continue to keep you in the loop. That way, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. You can get FRC's content straight to your phone. Just sign up for our text alerts by texting STAND to 67742. Again, you simply text STAND to 67742, and FRC will send you special alerts on the issues that matter to you. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. You'll have access to content that will help you continue to stand for faith, family, and freedom. And you'll know about opportunities to connect with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Finding a quality news source today in this media-saturated world can be incredibly difficult. It is important to stay informed on what is going on in the world, but you need a news source you can trust. That is why Family Research Council created The Washington Stand, an online news platform with a mission to provide readers with free, factual news stories and commentaries all from a biblical worldview. Based in Washington, D.C., our reporters provide reliable information on the most crucial issues of the day, ranging from breaking news on the hottest Supreme Court decisions to details on the latest public education stories, updates to domestic and international religious liberty cases, and more. We want you and your family to stay informed on what is happening in the world that affects faith, family, and freedom. Be encouraged, be in the know, and stand firm in truth by visiting WashingtonStand.com today. That's WashingtonStand.com. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to have you with us on this Wednesday afternoon. The website, TonyPerkins.com. And uh, mark your calendars. The Pray Vote Stand Summit is right around the corner, September the 15th through the 17th here in Washington, D.C. And uh, it's going to be great. I, I can assure you it always is. Uh, we'll be talking about a lot of the issues we talk about here. In fact, many of the guests that you'll see uh, daily here on the program will be a part of panel discussions. Uh, yesterday, we had uh, Governor Kevin Stitz of Oklahoma. Uh, Governor Stitt will be at Prevote Stand Summit again this year. We're going to have Donald Trump. We'll have uh, Governor DeSantis. Uh, other presidential hopefuls will be there as well. And uh, so anyway, make your plans now before it fills up. Go to prevotestand.org to register for this year's Prevote Stand Summit, September the 15th through the 17th. And by the way, this is the 40th anniversary of the Family Research Council. So we're going to have a special gala uh, on that Saturday night on the 16th, the 40th gala. So you want to be a part of that. All right. Uh, We've got an opportunity here to continue our discussion with Dr. Eric Bordenkircher, uh, a research fellow at the UCLA Center for Middle East Development. We were just talking with uh, Dr. Marshall about how the administration is not giving thought to the long-term issues that could come from this promotion that the CDC is doing of, of chest feeding. Now, the term is breastfeeding. That's what mothers do. But to accommodate transgenders, men who want to be women or masquerade as women that want to chest feed. And we just went through all of that with him, how that's being done with using a 
basically a, a cocktail of drugs. And we have no idea. They have no idea how this is going to affect these babies. Well, let's think for a moment, and that's, that's extremely serious. But they're also not thinking about how the exportation of all of this LGBTQ ideology, and we just saw it on full parade in June, as embassies were flying pride flags, they were having tutorials on uh, pronoun usage. How is this going to affect America's standing on the international stage? And does this pose a threat to national security? Are they thinking about that? They may not be, but we are. Dr. Bordenkircher, thanks so much for uh, sticking around. My pleasure. Let, I, w- I want to first. I want to quote from your article. And by the way, folks, you can read his article. Go to TonyPerkins.com. But uh, you, you, you quote that uh, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken has stated that he presses his Saudi counterpart on LGBTQ issues every time they speak. Now, you, we were talking earlier in the program about the strategic nature of Saudi Arabia, in particular to keep Iran in check. Um, but they're, 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 they're a strategic ally. Yes, we need them. We need them for counterterrorism. We need them for helping bring the Israelis and Palestinians together. And so every time, if that were the case, if, if you and I had a strategic relationship on these issues, and every time I talked, the first thing I bring up is, what are you doing on LGBTQ issues? Would you get tired of hearing that? Yeah, and I would probably be less willing to cooperate over a period of time because it would be irritating. And you have this interference in our domestic affairs and our culture. You know, ta- you know, asking with the pronoun issue, telling people how to speak. Is it, isn't that a form think. of cultural imperialism? Yes, it is. I mean, I mean, this 21st is, century yes, cultural imperialism. Yeah, we're imposing something that the rest of the America, uh, the rest of the world thinks is, well, not all of the world. There are some in Europe that are already gone, but that part of the world thinks this is crazy. Yes, they think we've lost our mind. They, they see it as an infringement on their culture. They see an infringement on their affairs. Who wouldn't be upset by that? Yeah. You know, I, I, I wonder why, you know, Blinken makes this a priority. And, and in my role when I was at USURF and I had a overlap with this administration, so I did talk to him. We pressed them on religious freedom and, and could never pin them down to making it a priority in conversations with countries like Nigeria Saudi Arabia, they won't bring up India, they won't bring up the issue of religious freedom, but they'll talk about LGBTQ uh, ideology and pronoun usage. Mm-hmm. Demonstrate the pro- you know, their, where their priorities are at the moment. But in these countries, now, religious freedom is not necessarily important in all these countries, but religion is. Yes. And this disrespects their religion in their home. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Let's also talk about, when we talk about national security, you know, um, when I came out of the Marine Corps, I actually worked as a contractor with the State Department in anti-terrorism many years ago. This was a long time ago. But we worked in, in, uh, this was really prior to the emergence of Islamic terrorism. We were dealing with a lot of different types of terrorism, but it was on the, it was beginning to surface internationally. This type of... uh, policy push actually works right into the hands of Islamist 
Exactly. It gives them fodder, uh, makes them more convinced of their cause and that the West, the United States, is looking to upend or erase their culture. I was reading uh, a speech by Hassan Nasrallah, who is the leader of Hezbollah, and he told the Christians of uh, the Christians and the Muslims of Lebanon that the United States is out to erase our culture. And he pointed to the work that USAID is doing with the school system in mm-hmm. Lebanon. And the USAID has a uh, program out to integrate these LGBTQI plus uh, um, ideas into uh, the educational system. So his concern is not really unwarranted. And if you watch Samantha Power give her talk at Atlantic uh, a couple weeks ago, she said that there's no neutrality in, in exclusion in the sense that, you know, we're going to make these issues a part of our policy. So, yes, we're playing into the hands of the Islamists, the Hezbollah, the Hamas, the Al-Qaeda, the ISIS, the Houthis. Uh, they see this as a further challenge to, uh, you know, their presence, to the ability to, you know, to dictate the norms of their society. They feel that, you know, this is an, uh, an Islamic civilization and we should be able to dictate, you know, what we want. So is that a national security threat for America? I believe so, yes, because you're raising the ire. You're raising, uh, you know, the anger. You, you know, Al-Qaeda uh, did this stuff just due to the fact that there was a presence of Americans on Saudi soil. Now we're, you know, starting to creep into issues of, you know, in the private sector, inside the family home, you know, how people speak, how people behave. And language is a way to try to, you know, normalize stuff, too. Does this make it more difficult for what we would call moderate Muslims or cultural Muslims to to push back against the radicals? I would say so, yes. And then also, too, I think it makes kind of a greater divide in that dichotomy in the Middle East regards to the secularist and the religious element. And so that if, those divisions grow even uh, greater or deeper. So, Eric, as you've transitioned, as you say, you're transitioning out of the academic world more into the political. Do you see any evidence that this administration is giving thought to the implications of their foreign policy on these issues? No, they're not. Um, and, you know, it's just not with this LGBTQ, LGBTQ stuff. It's, you know, in regards to, I think, how they've handled the Saudi issue, how they handle Yemen, how they handle the Israeli-Palestinian uh, issue, and that there is, uh, th- th- I think the real kind of uh, problem is they are unable to or unwilling to prioritize their objectives in the region and that they need to decide what is important and what is not important instead of just kind of going at everything. Because I think when you go at everything, you end up not accomplishing anything. But part of this could just simply be trying to appease a, 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 a political, um, their political, I wouldn't even say it's their base because it's such a small fraction of their base, but it's certainly a vocal part I mean, is, is this just simply trying to appease some act, act, activists here at home, not considering the consequences abroad? I mean, I think there is an appeasement of this this block within the Democratic Party. But I think as we've started to see is that, you know, USAID is starting to draft materials. Um, and, you know, this idea of 
identity and how this identity politics plays into a lot of this stuff. So do you and think this is, in, as they've been trying to indoctrinate children in our schools here at home with this agenda, do you think this is a part of this agenda coming out of the State Department? I, I, think, that's, I think that's the objective, yeah. So it's not just to appease a base here at home. This is literally to change the the global landscape when it comes to these issues. I mean, there's, uh, you know, there's material here that they're producing. This is not just purely some kind of rhetoric to kind of throw out there. So we've got a few minutes left here. Uh, Help us think through the long-term implications of this. I mean, because there's not always a an immediate reaction for every action. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's delayed. Mm -hmm. Is this something, are these seeds that we're planting that could bear fruit in years to come? I think this is, yeah, this is a slow process. Uh, I think it's, it pushes some of these areas towards China. Um, I think I mentioned previous uh, um, earlier in the show, uh, you know, makes it much more challenging in regards to access to mineral deposits, maybe in Africa, for example. So a lot of these, and this is a, it's a real problem in the African continent. Many mm-hmm. of these countries, uh, traditional in their views, and they're poor, they're impo- and they rely heavily on foreign aid from the United States. China is being very free with their money. Of course, there are Belt and Roads initiatives that they're doing. This could be an alternative yes, for many of these countries. China doesn't care about this stuff. Right, they don't. You they know, care about dominating you the know, world. You can do what you want. You know, we're just about we're interested about these economic interests, and and you know, works to our advantage. They're not interested in you know dealing with this issue of values. This kind of very value laden uh, foreign policy that this administration is projecting out there, and it's a va- you know values that even the Americans don't agree on. Right. I mean, there's this kind of idea I've seen with some of the. Uh, Uh, officials in the Biden administration where they kind of make this argument that, yeah, we have our problems and that we haven't figured everything out. But at the same time, they're still willing to go out into the world and, you know, talk to you, lecture, consult, have a quote unquote dialogue uh, on these issues. So there is a, I would say, a certain level of kind of arrogance that, you know, that righteousness, uh, uh, a bit of an ideological crusade that's going on here. My guest is Dr. Eric Bordenkircher, a research fellow at the US, UCLA Center for Middle East Development. Uh, he's written a piece, and that's the reason I had it on the program, regarding U.S. foreign policy. Now, you know, we have a publication that we did recently that basically cataloged all of the Uh, different incidents of the State Department pushing out in their foreign policy, the LGBTQ agenda. So, Eric, it was one of my interests in here. We've been tracking this and monitoring it, but always interested in the experts from the academic world in terms of the real-life implications of these policies, because some of this stuff is so much over the top, people just, they, they just shake their head and they go on. But this is this is almost you know, like planting landmines that at some point in time or a time bomb, it's going to go off. Exactly. I, and I think most of the American public is unaware that a lot of this stuff is going on at all. Now, this is not um, – I mean, this is – I mean, this is really a, a big push from this administration. But the State Department has long been the – uh, the funnel through which the left pushes out a lot of this internationally then often comes back to the United Nations, and then, you know, it's used as leverage to try to get us to adopt our policies. But have you seen anything else like this that would be, you could say, is 
you know, would be parallel to what they're doing today in the Islam, in the Islamic world? I think a good parallel historically would be what the missionaries did in the Levant back in the 19th and 20th century, and that they uh, made connections with various communities within this, these areas and used these communities or these communities used the great powers like France, Russia, Great Britain to leverage the Ottoman authorities to get certain things. But I think one of the, the problems, and this is kind of looking down the road here too, is that this type of interaction, this type of behavior, what it does is it fractures these societies, fractures these societies even further than what they already are. And I think one of the things to think about here, and this is kind of a much bigger idea, is that a lot of these places in the Middle East, uh, and particularly in Africa, the state is not very strong. Right. And when you start to deal with these kind of issues at the family level that have, you know, can challenge the bond of family, because the, the, the right. family in, in a lot of these societies is the one thing that's kind of holding things together. And you start to kind of unravel that. You are so you're, ta- you're some... saying that this could make the, the world an even more volatile place. Yes, yes. I think because, further fractured. Because Instead we're of, fracturing the foundation, yeah, the family. Fra- yes, yes. Instead of, you know, this so, assimilation, you're kind of pushing people together, you're breaking people apart. And this is what happened with a lot of the... Uh, uh, work that the Europeans did in the Middle East. And you see that today in Syria, Iraq, Lebanon, where you have this, these communal ideas or commu- communal identities that are stronger than the national identity. So you have these fractured, failed states. Meaning that our foreign policy issues are going to be a lot more difficult in the future. And these foreign policy issues will become military issues. Yes. Because of the volatile world that we're creating. Yeah, and you know, you have these failed states, refugees, it ends up having spill very spills interesting. Over. Yeah. Uh Dr. Borden Kircher, thank you so much for uh, being here. Great conversation. My pleasure, Tony. All right, folks, I want to thank you for joining us as well. As always, every day is an adventure. Well, until next time, I leave you once again with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6 where he says, "When you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, By all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.